I think the the issue is that it's so new to the healthcare system across the country. Insurance companies and even the government aren't sure how to how to address it yet. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. The trend toward community paramedicine, a.k.a. mobile integrated health care, is growing nationwide. It relieves some of the load of time-consuming or frequent flyer EMS runs from busy fire crews. And it provides the customers better, more specialized care. Win-win, right? Yes. But setting up a community paramedicine program requires some careful planning. My guest today to explain some of the factors behind a good program is Chief Porter Welch. He's chief of the Scioto, Ohio Township Fire Department, and he's the chairman of the Ohio Fire Chiefs Association Mobile Integrated Health Care Committee. He helped write and get passed legislation that allowed community paramedicine in Ohio. And Porter Welch joins me now. Welcome to Code 3, Chief. Thank you. Community paramedicine is becoming a big deal and very popular in many communities. What is the biggest stumbling block it faces? Well, I think one of the biggest stumbling blocks uh, across the country is how to, how to fund it, how to fund these programs, because the model of community paramedicine or, or the pre-hospital delivery of community paramedicine is something completely new for the entire industry, both from EMS, the insurance companies, the physicians, our medical directors, everybody across the board. What solutions have been suggested or tried so far for that? Well, in terms of funding, there are some states that are extremely proactive and have allowed reimbursement through their state Medicaid systems. There are a few private insurance companies, to my knowledge, that are starting to consider reimbursement, non-transports, basically supporting financially patient refusals, and Anthem Healthcare has been one of those insurance carriers. And then there are some private organizations or private foundations or hospital systems that are supporting community uh, paramedicine programs financially. Now, is this a case of simply inertia keeping these companies from making changes in how they reimburse, or is it an active program to say that, wait a minute, maybe we don't want to pay for this? No, I don't think there's a a significant or strong opposition to it. I I think the, the issue is that it's so new to the healthcare system across the country. People are not sure, or, or the, the our allied health professionals, or, or, or insurance companies, and even the government aren't sure how to how to address it yet. What advice do you have for those who want to get mobile integrated health care going in their community? 
Well, I think the biggest, the, the, the first thing that any organization needs to do is to really examine their community and see where the gaps in healthcare are in their community. You know, for example, my community is mainly rural with heavy concentrations of subdivisions and things like that. We don't really have an overdose or, or opioid problem, not that we haven't had issues, but we're not like the inner city where they have a huge opioid problem. And so what may work in the inner city isn't going to work in my community because there isn't a need for it. So any EMS service has to first look at what the gap is or what the need is in their community and focus on that. With that in mind, do you believe that this is a program that's suited for everybody or are there certain cases where it's just not appropriate? I think in some respects every organization across the country is doing quote-unquote community paramedicine. They just don't know it. And it may be as simple as following up with Meals on Wheels for a senior citizen in your community that you notice that they don't have anybody helping them to get food or they can't get to the grocery store. And so somebody makes a phone call to the social services or the senior services in their county and they get them in touch with the right folks. That's part of community paramedicine also. And there are some organizations that are involved in doing CHF clinic type follow-up care and diabetes care and, and other things. I think for years we've been doing things that could fall under the label of community paramedicine and we just never formally designated it as such. Right. But when we do designate it as such, how does it normally look in most communities? How is it, how is it put into place? Well, I can tell you from my experience here in central Ohio, we have departments that have a 40-hour-a-week community paramedic who's got a truck and carries a computer and goes out and schedules appointments and visits folks doing follow-up CHF care or follow-up diabetes care or even follow-up care for people that have been experienced an opioid overdose and instead of being hauled off to jail, they have to meet with this individual, this community paramedic, to get some follow-up treatment and things like that. They meet with a social worker and a court representative. There are other communities in central Ohio that use, use the label of community paramedicine where they have somebody from the county senior citizens group that works part-time in their fire station, and when the, the 911 service, the, the fire department goes out, somebody's house and realizes that this person needs help, they come back to the fire station and make a referral to the senior citizen person working in their fire station so that person can do a follow-up and get the right services to them. So it, there genuinely is no perfect answer or no right answer. It's what do you need for your community? I'll be back with more right after this. On any given day, you are tasked to be your best and power through the worst of times, all at a moment's notice. We know the sacrifices you make each and every day. Your success relies on superior equipment and the best training available. That's why Federal Resources is here to support you, the everyday hero. We are here so you can excel. 
Discover your success at federalresources.com. Now, as a fire chief, I'm sure you reap the benefits of this because your crews are not tied up with, as I mentioned earlier, frequent flyers or lesser cases that tie them up from going on major emergencies. But how much of a difference does it actually make day to day? I can say from personal experience, uh, our most recent incident was quite simple. We, we had a patient, uh, a resident of our township, that was calling us sometimes twice a day, three times a day for the same complaint. And because we take him to the emergency room, they would treat his acute condition or situation and discharge him. But there was no follow-up. And it took our paramedics getting involved with the hospital's social worker to actually get him in touch with the right people, the right physician, to get him a referral to the to the care that he actually needed, so he would have he could stop using the emergency department and and the EMS service to to take care of his problem. And knock on wood, we haven't transported this gentleman since our intervention. And all it was was a matter of getting the social worker at the hospital involved to get him to the right position to treat his condition, and it worked. So it really could be considered a win-win then? Absolutely. He got the help that he needed, and it, it took a burden off of our EMS system that really wasn't doing any good for him. All right. It sounds like it's growing and with good reason. Chief Porter Welch, yeah. thanks for being on Code 3 today. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time. And we put some more information on community paramedicine and getting a program going on our website at code3podcast.com slash cp. Check it out. Here comes your trivia question. I know you've been waiting for this. I have. What city developed the first fire alarm telegraph and when? I'll have the answer right after this. Now's your chance to get your hands on Code 3 t-shirts, sweatshirts, and more. Show your support for the podcast that supports firefighters from coast to coast. Just go to Code3Podcast.com and click on the Code 3 store link. Or go to Code3Podcast.com slash shop and tell the world that you're a Code 3 fan. Here is the trivia answer. The city that developed the first fire alarm telegraph system in 1852 was Boston. The system was later improved and manufactured by John Gamewell. Sound familiar? Yep, that's the same guy in the same system. If it works, why throw it out? All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me then. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, I'll see you later. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.